Nobody tanks in the NHL. Let's just get that straight. Welcome to the uh, the program today. Uh, yours truly, Jeff Merrick, along with you. Normally, Elliot Friedman kicks off the show. Uh, not so today. Looking for Elliot maybe as early as tomorrow. In the meantime, a lot of things to get to. Uh, a lot from last night. A lot bleeding into today. Um, bottom of the hour, Vince Mercogliano from Loha.com will stop by. We'll talk plenty about the Rangers. And I guess one of the questions revolving around the New York Rangers are, who are the New York Rangers? Uh, they're visiting the Maple Leafs tonight, looking for their eighth win in their last 11 games, you know, building off that beatdown of the Florida Panthers uh, earlier on this week. And, yeah, we should probably sneak in a conversation here about K. Andre Miller, who will join a parade of players getting paid in the, uh, the offseason. Uh, we've got the random player of the day. This one is a fascinating one. Love digging in on this. And it is Wednesday, so that means Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. We're going to get into a lot of stuff about tanking today, coming off of Gary Bettman's comments yesterday. In the meantime, some of the headlines that we'll go over over the day today. The Vancouver Canucks, I think we're all staying up to watch this one. In the East, everyone's staying up late. In the West, people are just watching the game. You Easterners staying up late. Uh, 5-2 over the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, things didn't exactly, you know, start swimmingly, let's just say. You know, a few minutes into the game, there was a jersey that hits the ice. Look, I'm not a fan of throwing anything on the ice except for hats after a hat trick or teddy bears at your you know, junior hockey or minor hockey teddy bear toss games. If you're going to throw a jersey on the ice, and again, I don't think you should throw jerseys on the ice really at any time, but if you're going to throw a jersey on the ice, don't do it while the play is still going on. Like, that is beyond stupid. And it's obvious someone could step on it, skate over it, Bambi on the ice, and maybe there goes the rest of the season. Whether it's a player, whether it's an official, just don't. I understand the comment. I understand the statement you're trying to make. Again, if you are going to throw a jersey on the ice, please wait until the play is stopped. Or better yet, don't do it at all. Find another way to make your comments uh, about your team. But nonetheless, that was the kickoff. And, you know, Rick Tockett got booed, as I think we all expected when he was introduced as the new coach. Um, but, you know, what's the, uh, you know, what's, what, what's the great saying? You know, uh, winning is the best perfume, right? It's a, it's a perfumed win by the Vancouver Canucks of the Chicago Blackhawks yesterday. 5-2 is the final score. Rick Tockett, a perfect 1-0 uh, in his, his first game behind the bench for the Vancouver Canucks, Andre Kuzmenko with a pair of goals uh, in that one. And Luke Shen with a breakaway, <laughs> which I think got giggles from uh, from various corners. Uh, one of the good news stories last night, Chris Letang returns to the Pittsburgh Penguins lineup after missing uh, 11 games. Uh, we talked yesterday with uh, Josh Getzoff about the passing of his father and how the entire team went. Um, Letang returns in grand fashion, no surprise, four points, uh, and scores the overtime winner, the Penguins over the Panthers in a 1987 game. 7-6 is the final. That was a wild one. And specific in that one, we've talked so much about lead changes this year and how no lead is sacred. Once upon a time, if you had a two-goal lead going into the third period, teams could sit on that score, and that was it. Not so fast anymore in the NHL. It started last year, really has hit a zenith so far this season. Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday overcame three separate deficits in this one to win, that's impressive. And yes, 
more questions around the Florida Panthers. David Pasternak with four points yesterday. The Boston Bruins doubling up the Montreal Canadiens 4-2. to And Boston sets an NHL record with the fewest games to reach 80 points. 47. Which is spectacular. I am always loath to compare teams from now to teams then. I know the 77 Habs squad and their record is is popping up all over the place when it comes to the Boston Bruins. Different time, different way to calculate points, and the presence of ties as well. Uh, The previous record, by the way, held by the Philadelphia Flyers in that magical 79-80 season. It took them 49 games to reach 80 points, and again, only took the Boston Bruins 47. Buffalo Sabres are now, check this out, because I think we've been waiting for someone to make this interesting. The Buffalo Sabres are within three points of a wild card spot in the East after a 5-3 victory over the St. Louis Blues. Want to get to St. Louis here in a couple of seconds. Within three points of the second wild card spot, the Buffalo Sabres have now won four games in a row, and Jeff Skinner... I mean, what a difference a coaching change makes. Change of scenery, everything, breath of fresh air. Uh, Jeff Skinner now becomes the fourth 20-goal scorer this season for the Buffalo Sabres. Impressive. Looking at you, Edmonton Oilers. Tay Thompson, Alex Tuck, Victor Olofsson, and now you can add Jeff Skinner, who, by the way, is trending to have the best season of his career. And who would have predicted that a couple of years ago when he was on fourth-line duty and he was health-bombed on the regular, and there was a fire at Newport Sports, and the acrimony was not subtle and not hidden behind closed doors, but was obvious and laid out in front of everybody, and how much hatred there was between that player and that coach. And here we are now. Jeff Skinner, once again, is a 20-goal scorer, the fourth this season of the Buffalo Sabres, and might just make a wild-card spot. At least they're going to make a push. Because unlike last season, like, let's just face it. Last season in the Eastern Conference was a snooze. What were we talking about in the East one year ago? Seedings. That's it. Because everything was wrapped up. It was all done. We just want teams to be able to make a race out of both the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. And as much as the Florida Panthers don't seem to want to, they'd be given opportunity after opportunity to turn them down. And again, they don't want to. At this point, the Buffalo Sabres are like, okay, you want a race? We'll give you a race. Sure, we'll have those moments where we lose three in a row and you go, ah, come on, Sabres, pull it together. Buffalo Sabres, four in a row. Pretty impressive last night against the uh, against the St. Louis Blues. Of note for the Blues last night, both Vladimir Tarasenko, who we all expect to be traded by the deadline, and Tori Krug returned to their lineup. Now... Craig Berube is not one to mince words. Craig Berube, if you uh, are of a certain vintage, remember how he played. He was one of the toughest on the beat when he played, one of the toughest in the NHL. Um, He's a rugged player. He's a rugged coach. And he isn't shy about calling out top players. Yesterday, setting his sights on Colton Pareko. Here's what Berube said about Pareko last night. Did not have a good game. Tentative. Seems like he's a bit tentative and not just assertive enough. Not assertive enough with the puck. It's not all the time, but he definitely has not had the year we expected him to have or he expects. One of the things now where it's so hard to make trades to shake up your lineup, to do anything right now, 
the frustration is continuing to boil over and you see it with coaches who once upon a time would really be shy about calling out star players. And how unique was it so many years ago when we were here, you know, John Tortorella, when he coached Tampa, call out his starting netminder, almost on the regular, to the point where you're saying to yourself, uh, is Jay Feaster going to trade him? Because we know the Tortorella is not getting fired. But now, whether it's the netminder or, in this case, the defenseman, or in Bruce Cassidy's case recently, their star center, key piece of a huge trade last season as well, remember Jack Eichel, Coaches calling out top players, very much a thing in the NHL. Speaking of Vegas, they lose to the New Jersey Devils last night at overtime. Dougie Hamilton with the one-timer. By the way, just as an aside, I think I've mentioned this before. I just throw this one out to the, uh, to the jury of Twitter or the thoughts of Twitter. Does anybody in the NHL one-time a puck better than Dougie Hamilton? I'll wait. Anybody? Someone in the back? Anyone? Does anybody, I'll say it again, does anybody one-time a puck better than Dougie Hamilton? Dougie Hamilton yesterday had his feet planted on that one-timer. He didn't coast in to that one-timer. Like, there was a couple of really good plays on that game winner last night. The first one, some excellent board work by, checks notes, six foot five. Jack Hughes? Mm, no, Jack Hughes is not six foot five. But he certainly, you know, certainly played like he was a big player on the boards last night, didn't he? Getting that feed over to Dougie Hamilton for that one-timer. Great work along the boards by Hughes. Overtime winner Vegas uh, loses, and they have uh, now lost five of their last six. So they're one in six in their last seven. That's the stat I'm searching for. Oh, and by the way, just as an aside about Dougie Hamilton, you know what I love about the Hamilton family? So his brother is Freddie Hamilton. You know what I love about this? It's not as if the parents called the kids Doug and Fred. Like, they're really called Dougie and Freddie. Can you tell, can you tell that the Hamiltons come from a sports background? Not Doug Hamilton, which has been hockified or hockeyfied into Dougie. Not Fred Hamilton, that's been hockeyfied into Freddie. The names are Dougie and Freddie. Uh, Also, Nathan McKinnon, fifth fastest active player to 700 points. Uh, The Colorado Avalanche beat the Washington Capitals 3-2. Colorado has now won sixth in a row. Don't look now. They're third in the Central. And everybody else is scared because now Colorado is behaving like Colorado. Again, McKinnon, the fifth fastest uh, to 700 points. Uh, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and Evgeny Malkin all getting there in a shorter amount of time. But here is the headline. Teams aren't tanking. Gary Bettman yesterday before the Montreal Canadiens-Boston Bruins game said, and I don't disagree with him in one sense of the word, claims that teams aren't tanking because there's a lottery. That's a big stretch. And we'll get into it here in a couple of seconds. We'll bring in Matt Marchese. Um, Maddie, I want to play this audio here. So this is Gary Bettman, commissioner of the NHL, maintaining that it's a fiction that teams tank. Let's have a listen. Nobody tanks because we have a weighted lottery. And you're, you're not, you're not, you're not going to lose games to increase your odds by a couple of percentage points. That's silly. And frankly, suggesting tanking, I believe... Uh, is inconsistent with the professionalism 
that our players and our coaches have. Nobody tanks. Our players and our coaches do their best to win. And again, just because you may finish with the worst record in the league, you've got something like a 75% chance that you're not going to get the first pick. Okay, so a few things there. And the last part about coaches and players not tanking, that's the part I believe. I think in that in that part of the response, Maddie, I think Gary Bettman is being 100% honest. I don't believe players go out there to throw games. I don't believe coaches coach to throw games. But above them, teams are very much constructed to understand what the score is. Like long gone are the days where, and we think about the Pittsburgh Penguins before the Mario Lemieux draft in 1984. Um, long gone are the days where you're pulling players out of the lineup to ensure losses. Okay? Long gone. Maybe it's not really long gone because we just saw this with the Buffalo Sabres and Tim Murray when they tried to get Connor McDavid. Um, but the traditional way to tank is sort of long gone. But the way teams are constructed right now, you can tell they're trying to get Connor Bedard, whether it's Arizona, and that's the obvious one from day one. Like, watch what happens with teams like Columbus. Watch what happens now with teams like Montreal. Look what happens with teams like the Anaheim Ducks. Their general managers are not going to give them any shots in the arm to improve this season. Everything revolves around trying to get the best odds at getting Connor Bedard. I've said it so many times. I'm sick of hearing myself saying this. It's a great line by Sam Kinison. And he was talking about, you know, more talking about his lifestyle than anything else, but it relates to sports. If you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by two inches. There are rewards on top. And in the case of sports, when it comes to draft lotteries, there are rewards at the bottom. What did you make of the commissioner's statement yesterday about there's no tanking in the NHL? He, he's right about there's no tanking by NHL players and coaches. Everybody wants to keep their job. Like these players are playing for on these bad teams. They're playing for a job next year in a lot of cases. So, and in some cases they're playing to be traded somewhere else so they can be put in a better spot or signed by another team in the offseason, whatever the case may be. So I agree that the players and coaches don't tank, but front offices and ownership absolutely do tank. Like, let's not, let's not lie about this. <laughs> and I, I had this, I actually did this. I talked a little bit about this on Friday. Cause you talked about like where this thing is kind of heading it's only going to get worse yeah. from here. And and Thursday night's games were – they were like a master class in teams who are playing against each other trying to see who can be worse. So we had the Blackhawks and the Flyers playing against each other. We had the Ducks and the Blue Jackets playing against each other. And then the Habs got waxed and the Coyotes got waxed. Like it was it was a master class in tanking that night. And, and we can even look further to <laughs> – we can even look further to what happened last night. The Chicago Blackhawks had 14 shots last night, and they they scored mm. on two of them, but they lose 5-2 to the Canucks, who, by the way, last time I checked, um, also not going to be making the playoffs this year, also probably going to be in the lottery after they make some moves. So is there is there tanking by players and coaches? No. Um, do front offices and ownership tank for a player like Connor Bedard? We would be foolish to think that that teams at the bottom don't look at Connor Bedard and go, hmm, 
that guy would look good in our organization, wouldn't he? What's Gary Bettman's job? Make owners money. And protect Franchise owners. Value. Franchise value. All of it is at the service of franchise value. Now, I'm not saying that cynically. I'm not saying as if like that's a bad thing, or am I sitting there, I'm not trying to present this like it's some big secret. But the commissioner of the NHL has one primary job, and everything that that office does revolves around franchise value. Okay, that I, I was I've, I'm, I'm always reminded by various people about the commissioner's job, and it is increased value of franchise. That's the gig. That's the job. Everything else, everything else fits into that. Everything else leads into that. There may be some things like benevolent, you know, uh, charitable initiatives. And that's all part and parcel of increasing franchise value. Make no mistake about it. Franchise value. So I always keep that in the back of my mind whenever I hear Gary Bettman speak or I watch what he does or I watch what happens and how he behaves around NHL franchises and how he behaves during press conferences and the things that he says. He has one job, and that is protect and increase franchise value. So none of that was a surprise or should be a surprise to anyone to have Gary Bettman come out yesterday and say there is no tanking. Because if you have a commissioner of a sport coming out and saying, oh, yeah, we all know what the score is in Arizona, they're tanking, what happens to franchise value of that team? If he says the same thing about the Anaheim Ducks and says the same thing about the Columbus Blue Jackets at this point, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what does the market do with that? What happens as, like, let's not forget, some teams are already sending out season ticket renewals for next season. And I'm pretty sure they don't want to hear, oh, well, even the commissioner says we've, we've thrown in the towel on this one. They're admitting this one publicly now. You know, we, when we talked about, you know, industry lies the other day with, uh, with Jim Rutherford and, and Bruce Boudreaux, how tactically you're kind of obliged to lie. Like in these situations, in order to protect franchise value and, you know, polish the brand and protect the shield and all that kind of stuff, the commissioner has to come out and say certain things that may be contrary to what's actually happening. Now, the one thing, and let's not forget, Gary Bettman is very smart, right? That's all I've always been told that whatever room Gary Bettman is in, he's the smartest person in that room. He focuses on coaches and players. It's very lawyerly and it's very accurate because at that level, there is no tanking. But I, I really do wonder, and I'll use the Major League Baseball example. How many teams in MLB last year do you think were playing to win? Like, honestly, playing Ooh, to win. That's a short list. 11? Uh, 10? 12? Yeah, Somewhere in there, right? It, like, it's I'm not it's off no base. more like, than 15. Who was really it's, playing it's no to more win? Than 15. Right? At, at the max. Those are the teams that were playing to win. I think a lot of other sports, and I think about hockey too, might have looked at that and said, we don't want our sport to become that. Like, I know a lot of it's driven by the Yankees. I get all that and the Dodgers, et cetera. But I think a lot of, I think a lot of other leagues looked at that and said, we don't want to become that, where more than half of our league is not playing to win. So whether it's Gary Bettman just trying to say, maintain the fiction, whether it's Gary Bettman just protecting the shield and trying to, you know, uh, stabilize franchise values as the Ottawa Senators, and he talked about this yesterday as well, 
are poised to be sold and you want to keep franchise value at a certain height because that benefits everybody. Franchise value uh, goes up. Everybody wins when franchises are sold. I'm not surprised by any of it. Now, undercutting all of it is one person. And do you know who that person is? Uh, no, but I'd be, love to hear it. Tamo Solani. <laughs> Tamo Solani. Did you see? Did you see the video of the Tamo Solani? So Gary Bevan's talking about how no one is tanking, and Tamo Solani puts out a video of himself walking through the Anaheim Ducks dressing room, and looking at all the hanging jerseys, whether it's Zegras or McTavish, and has one open stall and he writes Connor Bedard's name on it and places it there. This is one of the most beloved hockey players of the past of the this most recent generation essentially saying, yeah, let's tank this thing and get Connor Bedard. Uh, I don't know if this will translate well for radio, but we're going to give it a shot anyway. You can find it on Tamo Solani's uh, Twitter feed. This is Tamo Solani walking through the Ducks room saying, oh yeah, let's tank and get this guy. Have a listen. All right, Ducks uh, locker room here. A lot of great young players. <laughs> and here's nobody here. You know what? I'm going to help you. Let's put the next year player here. There you go. Now we are ready. Welcome. Welcome. So that is Tamu Solani prematurely welcoming Connor Bedard to the Anaheim Ducks. Do you have a thought on that one, Maddie? Like, is the commissioner saying no one's tanking? Here's one of the greats, Tame Wilson. He's saying, yeah, you know what? Drive this one in the ditch to try to get Connor Bedard. Uh, I, I agree with Team Mussolini. Absolutely drive it into the ditch to get Connor Bedard. <laughs> Season's over anyway. Let's make this thing worse. Like, let's be the worst team possible in order to put ourselves in a position to draft a, a uh, generational type player. Let's not be foolish about this, Anaheim Ducks. I love it. I love it. It was pretty entertaining. Uh, okay, so the other headline here. Um, uh, hang on a second. Are we, uh, Maddie? Are we going to do Connor Hellebuck here? Yeah, let's do, do that because we're going to have some time near the end of the show to do some okay. other things. So let's get to this now. Okay, so we got some other stuff coming up. I mentioned I mentioned uh, Vince Mercogliano coming up here at the bottom of the hour, talking about the Rangers. Uh, we'll get into more of the Vancouver win last night against the Hawks and in Rick Tockett's debut. But um, this one just came out this morning. So last week, Elliot and I sat down with Connor Hellebuck, netminder for the Winnipeg Jets, and a pretty uh, wide-ranging interview. The whole thing's available uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, just put it out this morning. Um, and this is this is some interesting stuff here. So the couple of clips you're going to hear, one of them is Connor Hallibuck talking about one of my favorite topics in the world, and that is Dustin Bufflin. You know, you always send your producer on, uh, or I do anyway, send him on Goose Chase. He's like, hey, who do you want to talk to, Merrick? Dustin Bufflin. Good luck getting him. Good luck finding him. But Connor Hallibuck has found him, and Connor Hallibuck fishes with him. We got a good... Dustin Bufflin story here coming up in a second. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll start this clip off with Connor Hellebuck, netminder for the Winnipeg Jets, talking about another favorite topic around these parts, equipment. This is from the 32 Thoughts interview podcast with Winnipeg Jets netminder Connor Hellebuck. Enjoy. Speaking of things that get you angry, I always love asking goaltenders this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you hate it when you hear guys like me and Elliot say things on television like, He'd like to have that one back. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's probably the worst thing you could say, <laughs> especially with a goaltender in the room. Um, just because you never know what went through his head. You never know. Yeah. I mean, everything else in the game could have made him have a different read. Or maybe there's a cross screen or a slightly tipped puck that we didn't pick up on TV. Like so many little things go into sometimes what a bad goal might look like is just sometimes that stuff happens. This is the NHL and that's a good portion of it. When, when we watch, uh, like I was a goaltender until I was 16. And then when I didn't get drafted, I quit. Like that was my hockey story. And by the way, I would like to say if I could do it all over again, I would play goal. You would. I love. I did. That's I did so it. Cool. I did it in university for a team that was going to get disqualified from the league if they had one more goalie that missed a game. <laughs> so I played a couple <laughs> games and I loved it. It's fun. I loved it. Did you like getting hit with the puck? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I was a, like I said. I was when I was younger. I was not strong mentally, and it didn't allow me to become as good a player as I could potentially have been. But at that point in my life, I was much more prepared for it, and I loved it. Yeah. I mean, there's some glory to it. The worst part is you're alone on an island. Thank God now we have goalie coaches and your goalie partner that also knows exactly what you're in. But um, as they're making the gear smaller, that was really difficult because now the puck started hurting a little bit more, and mm-hmm. the look that you have developed now looks insane. Like for me, I had just developed a really good structure. I put that new chest pad on, and my hands felt like they were alone. There's no more arm into them. And it was hard mentally to get over that because now I'm starting to re... I'm, well, I am trying new chest pads to, to try to make the pucks not hurt as bad. And um, I'm trying to regather that structure that I just developed, and it was tough. I heard you were very vocal about the changes. You were on the competition committee, correct? I am, yes. So you... And I heard you were very vocal, like... Can you take us through some of those conversations? Because I heard you were unafraid to give your opinion. Yeah, well, I don't like just a bunch of complaining. If I'm going to complain, I might as well do something about it. And I saw that as my route to do something about it. And I understand why they made all these changes. What I was vocal about was give us some time with them. They gave it to one goalie, and I think it was Schneider, Corey Schneider. And and he was trying them, and, and it was okay for him. But then all these other brands, they need time to develop theirs, um, and we need time to adjust. I just thought I thought it was pushed too fast, and I was just being vocal about how. And I know I'm not the only one that said the pucks are starting to hurt. Like, give us some time to work out the kinks. And Kay Whitmore is really good about okaying modifications, which I had to do on my chest pad. I had to add a little bit of layer of air in between. And that helped a lot. But I think a lot of that could have been done before we were forced into it. That makes sense. How many goalies were calling you and saying, Connor, don't back down, don't back down, <laughs> don't back down? You know, the goalie union, you'd be surprised. We don't we don't all talk, but we all think alike. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need those calls. I kind of knew they were, they were thinking it. You saw Jake Ottinger last week trying to pull the mask off? I saw that. What went through your mind? I think it's important, but... What stinks is because, A, you don't want to just pull it off and get that penalty. Some refs will realize how dangerous that is to have a clip off or even two clips off, which is even more dangerous. I think the refs need to see when it clips off. They need a chance to blow it dead. And then we'll know, leave it on because the ref is looking for a whistle. That's what I think about that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that can be done about the clips? Like we look at the, like, the technology of every piece of equipment. Can that be changed at all in your estimation? I mean, maybe a little bit, but I think the exploding off is part of the impact. So when a, when a helmet gets hit, mm-hmm. 
it takes the impact and then those explode and the helmet comes up and away, which helps take the uh, the impact from one spot to just yep. spread it out over the area. So I think it's important that they still come off. But there could be a, a spot where that comes off and then something else holds them on. So at least mm-hmm. they're there and your helmet won't just tip off, but then it still will shimmy around on your eyes. And it's not good for goaltending. Whenever I'm asked, and Elliot and I have talked about this before, you know, who do we wish was still in the NHL? I always say Dustin Bufflin. <laughs> I miss that guy. Uh, I miss watching him play. I mean, he's a former teammate. I'm sure you got a, a million stories. When I say the name Dustin Bufflin to you, I mean, the relationship between goaltender and defenseman is a pretty big one and profound one. But when his name pops into your head, what goes through your mind? You know, I do miss the guy. Um, I keep in touch with him. Oh, we're, yeah? We're, How is he? You know, we both fish, so... You're like buddies. the one guy he talks to. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> talks to a little bit. Talks to Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's doing well. He's doing well. Um, his family's great, and um, he's enjoying himself, and he's he's happy. Did you ever ice fish with Dustin Bufflin? Uh, he got me into it. Oh, you got to tell us about this. Yeah, so I was always a bass fisherman, and um, when I first came in the league, I was young, and he knew I liked fishing, so he'd invite me out ice fishing, and he'd make me wake up at 5 a.m. and get out there. Which, sure, I love it now. But at the time, I didn't know that was a thing. And for ice fishing, I just figured go whenever. It's the same thing. You know, the fish don't, don't see through the ice. But um, we get out there, and we just, it would be so relaxed. We'd just be hanging out and over a hole and out in nature, breathing in fresh air and watching the sun come up. And something very calming about that. And now I realize how important it was to us to get out there and just get away from hockey and and free our minds. What would you guys talk about? Oh, man. A lot of fishing. <laughs> That's the best part about it. You go fishing, you talk fishing. and You just park all the hockey talk? Just, like, yeah, just leave just it? park it away, and maybe once in a while it pops up, but really it's just getting your mind off of it, talking fishing, and his, his buddies that he'd bring out, and we just chat with them and just make each other laugh and have a good time. What's the wildest thing you saw him do on the ice? Like we saw big things out of it. Like that's the thing about Dustin Bufflin. Like everything he did was, you know, larger than life and big goals and rushes and checks and like all of it. Is there one that stands out for you? Yeah. And you won't have any recollection of this because this was during a, um, a skills competition for the Jets. They just do their own skills competition every yeah, year. Night. And we went fishing that morning. We came back. Um, went home and then we went to the skills competition it was around seven o'clock and we did a shootout and we brought in two contestant winning goalies and they're younger kids um teenagers and he comes down for a penalty shot pushes the puck forward puts his stick in one hand kind of uses his back as leverage and just one tees it with his one hand and it goes elbowing in, and it was the greatest penalty shot I've ever seen of all time. Is there video of this somewhere? Brown, <sighs> you think there is? <laughs> and it came out of nowhere. He was just nonchalant coming down and then pulls that out, and everyone's jaw just dropped. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I miss Dustin Bufflin. All right, the book. So this is the first hockey book. I We're talking about books here, Connor. This is the first hockey book I ever got. It's a Peter Puck book. Love that hockey game with Brian McFarlane. I treasure this like crazy. This one is 
Okay, so uh, well, was tricky edit. Um, okay, so that was Connor Hallibuck of the Winnipeg Jets. And by the way, when he says Brownie, that's uh, he's referring to Scott Brown, who's the uh, communications director for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, who helped coordinate that interview. You can hear the full thing, and it's it's a fascinating listen to. I I, I love talking to goaltenders. I find them endlessly intriguing. Um, they all have their really unique quirks. Uh, there are some things that they all you know are on the same page about and sing from the same hymn book but by and large every goaltender you meet is going to be profoundly different than the next one i don't know that i can say that about any other position uh in the game of hockey but uh connor hellebuck um it's a fascinating interview um listen man by the end of it he may have another norris trophy uh on that shelf as well you can hear the uh the full podcast wherever you get your podcast whether it's apple Podcasts, whether it's spotify on our website, sportsnet.ca, wherever you need to go, uh, have a listen to Connor Hellebuck. All right, a uh, little pause. Don't forget, top of the hour, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. We still have the random player of the day as well. Um, and and uh, coming up here in a couple of moments, we're going to talk to Vince Mercogliano from lowhud.com. The New York Rangers, A, who are they? And B, who's coming in? Because when you talk about the New York Rangers... Sure, they'll always make subtle, sly moves. We just talked about Dustin Bufflin there a second ago with Connor Hellebuck, and everything he did was big. We know the New York Rangers will try some big swings come trade deadline time. Who are they swinging for? Vince Bercogliano answers in a couple of moments. Talking Rangers will face off against the Leafs on Sportsnet this evening. Part of Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Vince is next. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Back in a flash. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget top of the hour. It is uh, MVSW Redux. Yes, MVSW done every Wednesday right here on the program. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN stops by. We still do have the random player of the day. We're going back into the 70s. Shocker for this one. Uh, in the meantime, we're talking Rangers. Facing off against the Maple Leafs this evening. Part of Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Uh, coming off a big 6-2 win over the Florida Panthers, where Igor Shosturkin almost scored a goal. Uh, pleased to be joined by Vince Mercogliano from Lohut.com commenting on all these things, Ranger. Uh, Vince, how are you today, pal? You doing well? I am doing well. I'm sitting in an empty Scotiabank arena right now, just uh, counting down the hours, I guess. Oh, very good. So it feels like the first five minutes of every period then at Scotiabank Arena. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, real quick, the game against the Panthers. Did you think the Shosturkin shot was going in? It just it just to the outside of the right post, but when it left his blade, I thought, oh, man, he's got it. What did you think? Yeah, for, for my angle in, in the Madison Square Garden press box, I thought so as well. Now, obviously, I think if you were standing behind the goal, you would have had a better angle to see that it was drifting a little sure. bit to the left. Uh, but, yeah, from my angle in the press box, I thought I had a real shot. Everybody kind of gasped and was waiting to see what happens because, you know, we talk to him about this all the time. He wants one really bad. 
He does not try to hide it in any way. His teammates know it as well. So I think that everybody in those empty net situations is just waiting to see what he's going to do and if he's going to actually make it happen. I'm pretty sure at yeah. some point, whether it's in the near future or later in his career, we're going to see him get one because he's, we know how good he is at handling the puck. And he, like I said, yeah. he makes no bones about it. He wants to get a goal. So I, I, I kind of think that all goalies do, but only some are brave enough to actually try it. Like things... Things have to be so perfect. Now, listen, it's a lot easier, you know, when it's a when it's a blowout and you find yourself with an empty net. But I know some goalies that are like, if it's a close game, I don't want it to get picked off. You know, I'm not an elite level shooter here. You know, it's not Adam Fox shooting for the net where he's going to bury it if the puck's on his stick, even if it's in his zone. I know some goalies are shy about it with close games. But man, like that was perfect recipe for goalie goal. For Igor Shosturkin, I, I kind of figure every goalie wants it, um, and I think there's only really a handful that I can see even trying it though. But Shosturkin's top of that list, um, and, Je- and Jeff, he works on it in practice period. too. So, sorry to interrupt you. He works on it in practice too. Like you That's see fine. him shooting every practice. It's really funny. He he definitely puts effort into it. He really takes a lot of pride in his stick handling, and you see him taking shots yeah. on net from all different angles every practice. It's awesome. Now, is it always like really? I mean, one of the things that goalies are obviously sensitive about when they're going for the uh, going for the empty net, you need to be able to lob it over forwards and lob it over defensemen. Like, does he take that into account when he's practicing? Like, this thing's got to get up in the air. Like, it's got to be like eight, nine feet in the air to get over defensemen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He, you, you see him try stuff like that. You also you see him even trying one timers. Like, he'll have a, he'll have teammates setting him up for one timers. Like, he really enjoys messing around with that kind of stuff. But he does feel like, awesome. you know, in different situations with the way that he passes the puck, shooting from all these different angles and, and stick handling the way that he does at practice will come in handy in game situations. And you see him, he attempts some really pretty yeah. gutsy passes too. So he, he's one of the best out there as far as that stuff goes. How, how do you see his season? Let's start with Shosturkin. And that, that second period, he was outstanding against the Panthers. Now, that was the Panthers' really, you know, uh, uh, only hope of trying to grab some points in that game. Shosturkin was the difference. How do, you, uh, how do you describe his season? Because it seems as if, you know, part of the conversation in that area has shifted away from Shosturkin and over to Ilya Sorokin with the Islanders. How do you see Shosturkin's game this year? I think if you ask him... He is not thrilled with the overall body of work. He was pretty clear about that earlier in the season. I forget which game it was, but when the Rangers had that stretch in November, when they were struggling, he came out after one of the games and said he was ashamed of the way that he was playing. He puts a lot of pressure on himself. He knows how important he is to this team, no doubt about it, their most important player. So I think given that context and given the context of how great and historic he was last season, he holds himself to a very high standard. I do think... During this stretch, since early December, if you look at the Rangers' record, it's one of the best in the league. I think he's been much better during this last month and a half, two months, and I think that that's been a big reason why the Rangers have been winning. Even though you know you look at this team and there's still some flaws that you see, there's still some issues that they're trying to work out within the lineup, the goalie is the backbone. And so I think he's been really solid for them, especially in this last month and a half or so. But he's not quite at the level where we saw him last year, at least not consistently. So I think he's still striving for that. He feels like there's more in the tank, even though I think, you know, if you look at the numbers now, he's still in the top 10 in pretty much every category in the league for goalies. So he's, mm-hmm. he's elevated his game as the season has gone on, but it's not quite what we saw last year.
You know, Vince, when we look at the Rangers, I think a lot of us look at them and say, okay, so who who is this team right now? Because we've seen, you know, the good and the bad, the uh, the indifferent. Like, we've seen a lot of different New York Rangers squads this year. And I think we look at some of the players individually and say, okay, so here we are a couple of seasons in. Who is Alexi Lafreniere? Who is Capo Caco? I think we have a better handle on who Philip Heedle is, but we'll focus in on the kids here. Um, who are these three? Do you have a handle on, on who these three players are yet? You know, it, it's really been an interesting season for each one of them individually. I, I do think that for the most part, the growth that we've seen from Heedle and Kako has been encouraging. With Kako, the points still aren't quite where you want them to be, but he has moments in every single game where you see the skill his strength on the puck, his ability to kind of maneuver through traffic and extend possessions in the offensive zone is really, really impressive. I think he's also gotten much better defensively, which a lot of people don't talk about. So I think Hedl and Kako are are much improved this season. The guy who's had the toughest season of those three by far is Lafreniere. Not only did he just have this 17-game stretch where he didn't score a goal, to me, recently, he Mm -hmm. just has not looked like a very confident player. I think that that scratch that they were hoping right after Christmas was going to maybe spark him or light a fire kind of had the opposite effect. I think it got him maybe overthinking a little bit. I think he's still kind of stuck in between. Like, what kind of player is this? Because the Rangers have been asking him to replicate, let's say, Chris Kreider. In a lot of ways, they have him at the net front on that second power play unit. You know, they want him to be more physical. They're kind of having him doing some puck retrieval stuff things of that nature. But, you know, anybody who followed this guy when he was in junior and and was clearly going to be the number one overall pick in the draft, he was a playmaker. He had outrageous assist numbers. He was a guy that was at his best when the puck was on his stick, and he hasn't really showed that, at least not, you know, close to consistently in his NHL career. And to me, I kind of wonder, like, you know, does he have the proper direction? Is he being led to becoming the type of player that would suit his strengths? or they may be trying to fit a square peg into a round hole a little bit right now. But either way, I think the confidence has probably been the biggest issue in these last handful of weeks. He just doesn't look super sure of himself right now, and that's something that the Rangers have to figure out. You know who he kind of was, specifically in junior, and we expected to see this more in the NHL? He was peak Jonathan Huberto. That's who he was. Create creativity mm-hmm. on the wing, finding seams, setting players, like everything that you're describing here, like that was Alexi Lafreniere and Ramuski. That was Alexi Lafreniere at, you know, the the World Juniors. Like that's what really got him on the map. And I, I think we're all waiting. And I know listen, I know teams get scared about prospects like this, certainly first overall picks, and they get chance after chance after chance. Um, and I still think of the old words of Sam Pollock, you know, never, you know, never make up your mind about a, a young player until you're 100% certain. If you're 99% certain, don't do anything, hang on to the player. Is, is there a level of, and, you know, certainly there is from the coach's point of view, but within the organization, do you think there's a level of frustration with Lafreniere? Like, I know he's only 21, or some would say he's already 21. Uh, and we still don't have a handle on what the game is here. Is there a sense in the organization of frustration around Lafreniere? I do think that there is some frustration. I certainly don't think it's at the point where anybody is giving up on him. Like I've, you know, people have asked, could they consider trading him? I don't think that's even a part of the conversation right now. 
I, I think they want to see how the rest of this season goes. And obviously, he's going to be an RFA this summer. So they're going to have to decide, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of contract is he getting next? Is it a bridge deal? What does the AAV look like? They've got a lot of interesting decisions, and they've got a tight salary cap situation. But I, I don't think that that's, you know, part of the conversation until the offseason. I think the main focus right now is getting him right. And it, it comes back to this question that we're touching on. What kind of player is he? Can he be that playmaker on the wing that you were just describing at this level? Because I think one of the things, especially in talking to a few scouts, that the people have sort of questioned with him so far is the skating. Is he quick enough to be able to play that kind of a role at this level? And I think that that is certainly an ongoing question. But, but again, I do wonder when you see them constantly telling him just, you know, get to the net and, and look for tips and, and kind of be that, that grinding type of player in front of the net. Like, that to me doesn't seem like the reason that they drafted this guy where they drafted him. And, and I wonder if they need to find ways to let him open up. It might mean taking some risks. It might lead to some turnovers. It might lead to some ugly minutes. But I think you got to figure out how to unlock this potential that made him the highly touted prospect that he was. Okay, on the uh, the flip side of the who are they coin is Keandre Miller, who is quickly game in and game out, you know, distinguishing himself. And you talk about you know RFAs on the horizon, and we look at Keandre Miller, and I say to myself, like this guy's growing leaps and bounds. Like, if I, you know, uh, don't check in on the Rangers for, like, a week or a week and a half and then watch a Ranger game, it's like, whoa. Like, Keandre Miller, like, continues to pop game in and game out. Um, your thoughts on, on where his game is at right now and what could we be looking at here for a, uh, for a, for a second contract with, with Chris Drury? Like, every time, I, every time I talk to anyone in New York, every time I watch a Ranger game, it's Miller that pops out for me. Yeah, he is definitely one of the most exciting players to watch on this team for me. And it's because of the, the skill set is really, really amazing and hard, hard to replicate. If you look at not just the way that he skates, the way that he eats up ice with those big, long strides. I mean, a lot of guys in the locker room will tell you in a straight line setting, nobody on this team. And they've got some good skaters, guys like Kreider and Zabanajad and Julian Gauthier. They've got some pretty fast guys at the top end. Yeah. Keandre Miller, because of the way that he's just effortlessly able to eat up ice with those big strides, might get from one end to the other quicker than anybody on the team, which is saying a lot. And then you factor in the long reach that he has. I mean, he makes – I was talking to Jacob Trouba about this a week or two ago. He makes plays where it might look like he's beat, but because of that reach, he's able to get his stick on pucks and break up plays that a lot of other guys can't. So you factor in those physical tools. This is a guy who's six foot five. And, and skates like the wind with the skill that is blossoming. He's definitely a guy who can handle the puck and shoot the puck and is becoming more and more confident jumping up in the rush and, and playing in the offensive zone on top of now he's adding a little physicality to his game. He's becoming a more responsible defensive player. Mm-hmm. He still will make occasional mistakes. He's still very much growing. He's still just turned 23. So he's, he's a very young player, but the upside is significant. This is a legitimate top four defenseman. I think he could push his way eventually maybe into being an all-star level player. So what does that next contract look like? I mean, this is also the guy that is second on the team to Adam Fox in average time on ice. So the Rangers use him in all situations that he plays a lot of minutes, a very important player for them. You know, the, the, a lot of people were asking initially in the beginning of the season, could he get a similar contract to Ryan Lindgren? who's a top four defenseman for the Rangers, making $3 million a year over three years. I don't think it's anywhere close to that. I think you're definitely looking at four-plus, maybe five or so million dollars 
a year. And then the question is going to be the length. You know, is he going to want a long-term deal or will he take a bridge with the hope that maybe on the other end of that bridge he'll be able to escalate that AAV even more? But I, I think a fair range in the people that, from the people that I've spoken to is probably floor is $4 million or so a year, and you could see him pushing to five or so. Okay, I've got a uh, – and that's really thorough. And what, what we're seeing now from teams right now is when they identify a key piece who's young coming out of their entry level, generally you try to lock them up for as much term as you can. But we'll see where the, where the, where the Miller discussions go. Okay, I've got like a hot 60 seconds here, Vince. Who do you think the Rangers go fishing for by trade deadline, whether it's Timo Meyer, whether it's Bo Horvat, whether it's Jacob Chikrin? Who could it be for the Rangers? You know – Everybody's talking about Kane and everybody's talking about Meyer. I think that those are very real possibilities. Meyer financially for them, though, to to extend him is going to be virtually impossible for them unless they make significant sacrifices. They've got Lafreniere, Heedle, and Miller all in need of new contracts this year, and I can't see any way that they keep you know, two of those three, if they're also going to find a way to pay Meyer. So Meyer to me feels like a long shot just because of the financial issues that would come with it. But they need a, they need a right winger who can score. My feeling at this point is that I think with the cap space that they're accumulating right now through the accrual process, they're going to try to replicate what they did last year, meaning not necessarily one big splash, one really Mm -hmm. pricey guy, but more just addressing two or three needs. They need a right winger who can score. They need a left-handed defenseman. They'd like to add some speed in their bottom six. If they could go out and acquire two or three guys that help fill those holes and spread out the cap mm-hmm. space that they're going to have, which is probably going to be six or seven million versus spending it all on one guy, I kind of think it might be that approach. That that's my feeling at this point, with about a month or so to go. Fascinating. Uh, you're the best, Vince. Always appreciate your insight. Your th- uh, thumb on the pulse uh, of everything going on in Rangerland. Thanks, pal. You be well. We'll check in soon. Yeah, you too, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Vince Mercogliano from Lohud.com covering the Rangers. Tonight they face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You can watch that one on Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey. All right, pause. Catch your breath. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. MVSW is on the horizon. Keep it here. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, we got a hustle on this one. Always want to get the random player of the day in for your chance to uh, nominate your favorite random player of the day, JM Show. At sportsnet.ca is the uh, the email address. What do we have today? Matt Marchese, the clock is winding down on the program. Let's get to it. All right, let's be quick. Ivan Bolderev, this is submitted by Derek Lawrence because his dad told okay. him that he was from the Sioux when he was growing up. It's true. So he's uh, Serbian. Uh, he moved to Sault Ste. Marie when he was, I believe, two or three years old. Uh, and interestingly enough, when you think NHL right now and Sault Ste. Marie, who do you think of, Maddie? Uh, it's always Kyle Dubas, is it not? Kyle Dubas's grandfather, Walter, coached him in Sault Ste. Marie. Kyle Dubas' oh, grandfather, wow. Walter, coached a lot of players in Sault Ste. Marie and helped a lot of them. Dubas has always said that one of his, you know, one of the, the things that he cherishes the most about having the GM job in Toronto is how many people 
um, uh, come up to him sort of randomly with stories about Walter, his uh, his his grandfather, who is a legend uh, in Sault Ste. Marie around hockey circles. I think one of the you know stories, Marcus Walensky's piece in the Star, you know, talks about Bryant McBride. Um, who co-founded the Carnegie Initiative, you know, he was taught by and influenced by Walter Dubas as well. Like there's a whole sort of side, an enormous story we could do on on Walter Dubas as well in, in Sault Ste. Marie and all the people that, that he influenced. Um, but we're heavy on time here. But yeah, uh, his grandfather Walter coached him in Sault Ste. Marie. So Ivan Voldarev was the 11th overall draft pick by the Boston Bruins. Now, he was also the first European-born draft pick to play in the National Hockey League. Again, first European-born draft pick because there were players before that weren't drafted that ended up playing in the NHL, but the first European-born draft pick to play in the NHL. Um, So 11th overall by the Boston Bruins. He was called up for the 1970 playoffs. He did not play in any games, but got his name on the Stanley Cup. They don't do that anymore, uh, but Boldarev was able to get his name on the Cup, I believe, before he even played a single NHL Game uh, dealt to the California Seals. Uh, Jerry Young would have been his coach, the same person who scouted him and brought him to the Boston Bruins. So some nice symmetry there. Uh, into the uh, Atlanta Flames, uh, that late franchise was involved in a nine-player deal uh, when he was with the uh, with the Atlanta Flames off to Calgary. Listen, one of the things like he was traded a number of different times, and always at least twice, maybe even only twice, was traded with Darcy Rhoda who's somewhere down the road we should probably do a random player on as well. Um, he was traded with Darcy Rhoda twice and played on a line uh, for a number of years with Darcy Rhoda. He uh, helped the Vancouver Canucks to the 1982 Stanley Cup Final against the Islanders. Uh, he finished up with the Detroit Red Wings. He would have played on a line with Kelly Kissio and Lane Lambert. Lane Lambert, now the coach of the New York Islanders. Uh, the trade there was for Mark Curtain. A couple of things here to wrap up the program on Ivan Boldarev. First of all, over a thousand games in the NHL from 1970 to 1985, but he was the first player to ever score a goal at Kemper Arena. All you Kansas City Scouts fans, all you people that ironically wear Kansas City Scouts hats. Or jerseys. We still see the New Jersey Devils for their reverse retro where the Kansas City Scouts colors, those retro uniforms. He scored the very first goal in uh, in Kemper Arena where the Kansas City Scouts played. And he assisted on Bobby Orr's final goal in the NHL, Chicago at Detroit, 1978. Ivan Boldarev, really good player, wasn't going to find a spot in the lineup with a stacked Boston Bruins team, uh, dealt to the California Seals, dealt to the Atlanta Flames, where he really blossomed, uh, a mainstay in the NHL uh, for 15 seasons. Like, that's a good, healthy NHL career. Uh, thank you to Derek Lawrence for sending that one in. JM Show at sportsnet.ca is the email address to get your random player of the day. Name. Do you have anything on Boulder Rev? Did you sniff around Boulder Rev at all for this one today? No, but what? I, but I will say this: um, the name Mark Curtin comes up a lot. Uh, he was the he mm. was the roommate of Rick Vasco. He is Mark Curtin is yep. intertwined with so many players that we have done on our random player of the day, which is so amazing yep. to me that you know the former third round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs so intertwined. Um, I'm not gonna lie. 
that's who I got the story about um, the the cup and uh, with Moose Vasco. So I mean, Mark Curtin's name is gonna pop oh, up yeah. here again. I have a feeling because he was yes. roommates with Rick Vasco and Junior. So there you go. Mark Curtin's a wonderful guy. Going through a battle right now with the LS. Everyone is in his corner. Uh, wonderful guy. Was a wonderful hockey player as well. Thanks to everyone uh, on the show today. Whether it was Greg Wyshynski. We talked to you for like 45 minutes, and I have no idea what we talked about. Uh, Vince Mercogliano from Low Hut as well. And player of the day, random player of the day, Ivan Boldarev. Thank you, Derek Lawrence, for sending that one in. Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Merrick Show back on the air tomorrow, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Enjoy the rest of the day. Conduct your affairs accordingly. <laughs>